This morning I'm going to talk to you about a sermon that is entitled Three Times a Day. And it comes from Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, that Andrew just read for us. And I invite you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles and mark that particular passage because the lesson will be coming directly from the words of this particular text. I think as a Christian that as far as the different areas of Christianity and living the Christian life, if there's ever an area that we as Christians can improve on, it is our prayer life. I think all of us, regardless of who we are and regardless of how much we pray, I think all of us can improve on our prayer life. I firmly believe that there is, that a person cannot pray too much. Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. And his admonition there is that we should try to pray as much as possible. So I think that we as Christians can always improve on our prayer life. And so I want to spend some time talking about that today, and I want us to be looking at this particular passage because it is a passage that as you look at it, you find four different lessons of four different components about prayer as you look at this text that perhaps you've never seen before. Now let me give you the background of this particular text before we start looking at it. Uh, You remember how that uh, Daniel was in captivity because he was taken over by Uh, was taken captive by the Babylonians when Jerusalem fell in 605 B.C. And after he got to the the land of Babylon, uh, he, of course, because he was a prince, was set in a very special training situation. And we don't have time to go through all that. But basically, Daniel being the the kind of man he was and having the godly character that he did, he kind of rose to the top of the situation and became one who was favored in the king's court. This was the case during the time of the Babylonians, but it's also the case during the time of the Medes and the Persians. And that's where we find Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. Darius, who is now king of this region, uh, he appointed Daniel to be one of the presidents or one of the leading government men in the nation. And he was so good at his job, and the fact that he was an Israelite caused the other presidents, if you will, to be jealous of Daniel, and so they f- tried to find a way to entrap him, tried to find a way to get rid of him. Uh, they couldn't attack him in any other way except for the fact that he was a God-fearer. And because he was a God-fearer, they knew that he was someone who spent time in prayer. So they tricked the king, Darius, into making a decree that if anybody made supplication or prayer to any other being other than Darius the king, then this particular person need to be thrown in the lion's den. And, of course, they knew what the outcome would be because uh, Daniel's going to do what Daniel has always done. And that is the setting of this particular occasion that we have before us. So we're going to be looking at this text today, and I want you to think about what is being said here. But as we look at it, I want you to see that there are some powerful lessons about prayer in just these two verses. Maybe you've read these verses many, many times and never saw what's in between the lines and what's occupied here in this text about prayer. But as we look at this text, the very first thing I want us to think about this morning is the practice of prayer, the practice of prayer. Notice what the text says. 
It says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened the chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime or as was his habit. Now notice what Daniel thought about prayer. Notice what his practice of prayer was. Daniel evidently practiced a prayer routine, if you will, where he prayed three times a day. More than likely, I don't know exactly his timetable, but I believe that he probably prayed when he first got up in the morning. He prayed in the middle of the day, and more than likely he prayed before he went to bed at night. And the text also tells us that this is something that he did, pardon the pun, but religiously because it was his habit. Folks, I believe that too often as we go through the Christian life, as we deal with the different things that we do, uh, we oftentimes don't have a habit when it comes to prayer. Uh, We don't have a routine or a plan or a schedule. Now, don't misunderstand me. The Bible doesn't say anything about praying a certain number of times a day. The Bible doesn't say when specifically there is a time that you're supposed to pray. We often pray before we have our meals, but nowhere in the Bible does it say you specifically have to do that. I'm not discounting the practice. I'm saying it's a very good practice. But my point is the Bible does not give us specific details about times, and about how that thing is supposed to work out. But I also think it's very important, because prayer is so important, that we develop a habit. A habit is something that comes about because of repetition. We do this so many times in our lives that we get caught in this particular pattern that you do things without questioning it. It is so much a part of your routine that it is something that you don't even have to think about or make excuses about, but instead you're going to do it because it is such a part of your life. That's obviously the case with Daniel. One of the reasons why these men knew they could trap Daniel is because they have watched Daniel. They knew every single day of his life he was going to be at a certain place and he was going to be doing a certain thing. He was going to be praying. So if they knew if they wanted to get him on something, this is something they could count on. This is something they could take to the bank. They knew that without a doubt, Daniel was going to be praying at this particular time. Very powerful lesson for us. We too need to set aside specific times to pray and don't let anything else get in the way. We should say to ourselves in our minds whether, or in our calendars or on our phones or whatever, this is the time I'm going to spend with God. This is the time I'm going to talk to Him. This is the time where I'm going to boldly approach His throne of grace because of the blood of Jesus Christ and how that Jesus Christ is my mediator, my high priest, and I'm going to go to God and let Him know what's on my mind. We need to spend time talking to our Father in heaven. Well, what gets me about this is Daniel did this in spite of all the different obstacles that were in his way. Earlier in chapter 6, it's pointed out that Daniel is now one of the leading government officials there in the land of the Medes and the Persians. A man that had a lot of responsibility. A man that was over a very big region. A man who had a lot of work to do. 
a man who had a lot of people calling for his time. But yet, Daniel, somehow or another, no matter how busy he was, he always found a way to pray three times a day. And he also did this in spite of being threatened. Notice what the text says. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, think about that for a moment. Daniel knew full well that there was an edict written according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, meaning it could not be revoked no matter what. He knew what the outcome would be. He knew it was against the law. He knew that he would be put to death. But even after he knew the writing was signed, nothing, no nothing, not even the fear of death was going to get away, get in his way of doing what was his habit, and that is praying to his Father in heaven three times a day. You know, for the past several years, We've made a big deal about the fact that there are no prayers in schools. But according to government mandate, we can't pray in school anymore in an official way. I'm sure people can pray in, in a silent way and in other ways. But as far as, quote, unquote, the government is concerned, there's no more prayers in schools. And it's very possible, goes the way government is and the way the times are these days, that it's very possible that there may one day be a law that's passed that says... No more praying at all. You can't pray in public. You can't pray in your homes. You can't pray at all. And I oftentimes wonder how that would affect, affect us if that was the case. I imagine for some it'd be, well, that's not that big a deal. I didn't pray that much anyway. God already knows what I want. God already knows what I need. And he knows how I feel about him. So I don't really need to say a whole lot more about it. There'll be others, of course, who... Um, or hide and make sure nobody ever sees them when they pray, and that's fine. But I imagine there might be some like Daniel who says, I don't care what the government says, I'm still going to talk to my Father in heaven, even if it means I'm going to be arrested, even if it means I'm going to be put to death. My point in all this is, when we look at this story of Daniel, when we look at this man of prayer, this was a man who was involved in the practice of prayer. And we too need to find ways to be involved in the practice of prayer. The psalmist puts it this way. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry out loud and he shall hear my voice. The psalmist understood how important it is to talk to God. We need to have the practice of prayer daily in our lives. So much of a practice that it becomes a habit. But now looking at the text again, you see something else in the text about prayer. As you start studying it and you start looking at it, uh, you also see the place of prayer. Notice what the text says. It says that he opened, being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. Daniel had a place where he prayed. Now once again, the Bible doesn't say anything about where we're supposed to pray. I'll be honest with you, there are times when I'm driving down the road that um, I'm praying. There are times when I'm in the shower and I'm praying. There's other times where I may be in a crowd of people and nobody has a clue, but I'm praying. But the emphasis of this particular text and what Daniel understood was that it's important that we find sometimes a private place to pray. 
a place where we have no distractions, a place where we can commune with God. Daniel understood that this was his private chamber. Here was a place where he felt like he was close to God because he could look toward Jerusalem. He wanted to find a place where he could be alone, where there were no distractions, where he could focus on what he was saying and think about what he is saying. Notice what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. Now once again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's not a place for us uh, to pray, uh, and it can be in the open, it can be with other people, it can be in other places, but yet we still should spend some time alone, private, with no distractions whatsoever. And that's what Jesus had in mind. And even Jesus, who is the most perfect man who ever walked on the face of the earth, even Jesus, who was the Son of God, even Jesus, who had the relationship he had with God the Father, notice what he did. Matthew 14, 23, he went apart to pray because he wanted to be alone. Mark 1, 35, he looked for a solitary place and there prayed. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, he withdrew himself into the wilderness to pray. Now folks, that tells me if Jesus needed to find some alone time, some time where he pulled himself away from all the distractions we have in this life, whether they be good things or bad things. Jesus understood and appreciated the fact that there were some times when we needed to be totally alone with our Father in heaven and spend some time talking to him. In fact, we have other passages in the Bible where we see Jesus uh, praying alone, and he prayed for some of the most important things that were going on in his life. Here in Matthew chapter 26, we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is about to be put to death. He is about to have the sins of the world placed upon his back. What did he want to do? He wanted to pray to his Father. He wanted to make sure that he was in a quiet, private place so nothing could interrupt him, nothing could stop him, he could think about the things he wanted to say to his father. Once again, we think about one of the prayers Jesus prayed. We think about John chapter 17. And we're not going to read that, and I didn't expect you to read it. You can tell by the small print. But in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 26, we have one of the most beautiful prayers that have ever been prayed. And the reason why I bring that prayer up is because Jesus prayed this beautiful prayer while he was alone in a secluded place. And he wanted to talk to his father. We have the example of Peter getting up in the morning. And he went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now why did he go to the housetop? Because he wanted to be alone. He wanted to make sure he was around nobody else. He wanted to spend some time just simply talking to his God. In the world we live in today, there are so many distractions. I know I'm guilty of this. I'll be right in the middle of a prayer and then something will happen and it'll interrupt me. Whether it would be a phone ringing or whether it be something else or whether it be my own thoughts take over sometimes when I'm not concentrating on what I need to concentrate on because there's too many distractions. And what that tells me is I need to train my mind to get rid of those distractions, but what's going to help me get rid of those distractions is to find my chamber, 
to find my closet, to find that private place where it's just me and my God and I can talk to him about the things I need to talk to him about. We all need to find our place of prayer like Daniel did. But notice what else we see in the text as we start looking at it. And I think this is very interesting and a very important lesson for us. But in this text, we also find the position of prayer. Notice what the text says. It says, he kneeled upon his knees. But folks, that should make an impression upon him. Now once again, let me make this disclaimer. The Bible nowhere says that we have to be in a specific position in order to pray to God. As I told you before, I can be driving a car and pray to God. Sitting in that car and driving, I can be in a shower and pray to God. I can be uh, in a lunchroom at school. I can be in all kinds of different places. I don't have to be in a specific position in order to pray to God. The Bible doesn't command that. But I do think it's interesting. Here we have the example of Daniel. And when he wanted to pray to God, he kneeled upon his knees But not only him, as you go through the Bible, you discover that oftentimes this is the case. Solomon was dedicating the temple in 2 Chronicles 6 and verse 13. It says he kneeled down upon his knees. As we look at other passages, Psalm 95 and verse 6, the psalmist says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Over in the book of Ezra, chapter 9, verse 5, it says, And at the evening sacrifice I rose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. Now, why all this emphasis upon falling on your knees? Why all this emphasis about bowing down and getting on your knees and, and putting yourself in a lower position? Let me emphasize again, the Bible doesn't say there is a dictated position for a person to pray. You can pray standing, you can pray sitting, you can pray kneeling if you want to. But why this emphasis on kneeling? Why this emphasis even in Daniel on kneeling as far as the position of prayer? Well, here in this passage here in Ezra chapter 9, in verse 6, we see why. And said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blushed to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespasses grown up unto the heavens. Now in Ezra, this is a special case that he's dealing with, but he gives us the lesson here. We need to humble ourselves when we come before God in prayer. We need to realize who God is. We need to realize who we are in His presence. We need to realize that He is the Creator of all things. He's the Almighty One. He is perfect and holy in everything. And then when we look at ourselves and we think about, I am getting the opportunity to speak to God Almighty. Me who I am with all my troubles, with all my burdens, with all my sins, I need to humble myself and realize who He, who he is and realize who I am. We're not so much talking about position here. We're talking about attitude. We're talking about the attitude of the heart when we go to God in prayer. Several years ago, I was at a Bible camp, and one of the kids there, I don't know if he was being silly or if he was just simply um, trying to prove a point, but he referred to our Father in Heaven as Daddy. Dear Daddy, in his prayer. 
And I pulled him aside and I said, you know, you may feel like you have that kind of relationship with him to call him daddy, but I don't think that's showing the right kind of humbleness. I don't think that's showing the right kind of attitude to the heart. Men of the Old Testament like Daniel and Ezra and the psalmist understood and Solomon understood, I am talking to God Almighty. And even though I have a very special relationship with him through Jesus Christ, his son, I should never, ever forget my place and realize what a very special blessing and privilege it is that I get to come before him and talk to him in prayer. No, I don't have to get on my knees to pray to him, but yet at the same time, I need to have the right kind of attitude. My father told me a story many years ago about a man that an undertaker was telling him about. Uh, my dad had a good relationship there in Rock Hill with all the different mortuaries, and one of the undertakers at breakfast one day was telling him about a man that he buried not too long ago, and as he was preparing the body of this man, this man had very callous knees. He had calluses all over his knees, and the undertaker wasn't quite sure why that was the case, so later on he asked the wife of this deceased man about the calluses, didn't know if he was a gardener or what, and the wife simply said, no, those calluses come because he prayed so much. Somebody else told me one time that the best exercise that a, that a Christian could ever be involved in is doing deep knee bends. And what they meant by that is lowering ourselves, prostrating ourselves, getting on our knees and praying to God. But once again, we're not talking about a particular position we're talking about an attitude, understanding who God is and understanding who we are. Peter puts it this way. He says, be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and give grace, giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. One final point. As I look at the text, I see one other aspect of prayer. If you look very carefully at the text, there are some things named here that remind us of some things we need to be doing when we pray. Because in the text, we find the petition of prayer. Notice, first of all, in the text, it just simply says that Daniel prayed. We don't know what he was praying for, but we do know that he was spending time with his God. As we've already talked about, he had a practice in doing this. This was something that he um, was involved in all the time. He had, ha had a habit about it. Here was a man who found a place to pray. Here was a man who understood he needed to be humble before the Lord, so he nailed on his knees. But the point I want us to make sure we understand, that Daniel prayed. He made sure that he spent some time talking to God. We don't know, as I said, what he talked about. Maybe he talked about his health. Maybe he talked about the nation. Maybe he talked about even this petition that had been signed. But he spent some time talking to God in prayer. Prayer is talking to God. It just simply comes down to that. Letting God know what's on your heart. But the text goes on, and it's not repetition. It's emphasizing other things. It says that he gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. Here was a man who found a way to be thankful even in his situation. Now imagine this for a moment. Daniel was a man who was living in captivity. 
Daniel was a man who was thousands of miles away from home. Daniel was a man who had been separated from his family. He was living among some people who were living in despair, and many of them had given up hope. Here was a man who even now, as he was praying, he knew the document had been signed that was basically his death warrant. But somehow or another, Daniel still found a way to be thankful. Once again, I don't know what he thanked God for, but he spent some time telling God how blessed he was and how thankful he was for those blessings. Folks, we could spend more time than what we usually do in prayer just expressing the blessings that God has given us. If we took the time to think about all the different ways God has blessed us, that would take up a far greater time than many of us spend in prayer. But Daniel, even in the face of the lion's den, he found a way to thank God for all the blessings that he has in his life. And that tells me that regardless of circumstances in life, there's always a reason to be thankful to God. But he goes on and the text says that he's making supplication unto the Lord. Now it's interesting when you do a study of this word supplication, most Bible scholars really don't know how to translate it. They really don't have a full understanding of it. But it's a special type of praying. It's more than just saying a prayer. It's a prayer that is an earnest kind of prayer. It's a pleading kind of prayer. It carries with it more urgency. It carries with it more work. And that reminds me of the fact that oftentimes when we pray to God, we pray and we oftentimes get into a routine, a bad routine, a bad habit, where we'll say the same things over and over again without giving much thought to what we're saying. Oh, they're good things. Not anything wrong with the things that we're saying. But the point of supplication is the idea, this is something I have thought about. This is something that I want to spend some time talking to God about because this is something that is important to me. It's more than just simply say, give us this day our daily bread. It's the idea that this is something that's pressing upon my mind. This is something that I want to put some effort toward. This is something that I want to spend some time with God over. And once again, we don't know what Daniel was talking about here, but I imagine if he was making supplication, if he was pleading with the Lord, it might have something to do with what he knew was about to happen. He knew that he was about to be thrown into the lion's den because the law of the Medes and Persians doesn't change. Once Darius signed that order, Darius couldn't do a thing about it. It didn't matter how much Daniel was uh, favored by Darius. It didn't matter how important a man Daniel was. The law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be changed. Once the rule was signed, Daniel, without a doubt, no possibility of reprieve, was going to be thrown into that lion's den. But yet Daniel still prayed. And I imagine in this supplication he was probably saying, God, I'm going to be thrown in the lines then, and I'm making supplication to you that you take care of the situation. I'm putting my faith and trust in you, and please help me to remain strong. Please help me to not pipe back. Please help me to do your will in all circumstances. Once again, I don't know if that's exactly what he's praying for, but I also know that he was making supplication before his God. And I also know that we as Christians need to do the same thing. Notice what the New Testament tells us. Paul says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, 
prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, once again, Paul is not just simply repeating himself here, saying pray, 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 though that would be a good thing. But he's telling us that there are different components of prayer, that prayers involve talking to God and interceding for people and giving a thanks. But at, first of all, at the beginning of his list, he has supplications. Sometimes we need to plead with God. We need to get down on our knees and really let God know what's going on in our lives. We need to get out of the habit of just simply saying the same thing over and over. But think very carefully about the time that we have with our Almighty. In fact, in Philippians, Paul tells us, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. One of the things Paul is talking about there is that we would not live the life of worry that we sometimes live if we would spend more time in prayer, especially in supplications, letting God know what's on our hearts. We need to be people who are involved in the practice of prayer. We need to be people who understand that we need to have a special place where we pray. We need to be people who understand that we need to have a position of humbleness. And we need to be people who understand that we need to have petitions before God and let Him know what's going on in our lives. I think it would be very appropriate this morning before we extend the invitation that we just take a moment and go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace and mercy at this time. Once again, asking your help to make us better Christians. And once again, dear Father, asking in a very specific way that you help us to become people of prayer that this church will be known as a place of prayer, that we as members here will be known as members who spend our time uh, praying to you. Help each one of us, dear Father, to uh, take prayer more seriously. Help us to understand the power of prayer and what it can do for our lives. And help us, dear Father, to make prayer a habit that is not just simply something we do haphazardly, not just something that we take for granted, But we look forward to the opportunity to pray to you because we have set a special time set aside. And we think about what we're going to say and then we get into that situation with you, dear Father. Uh, We talk to you. We really talk to you and just simply don't follow some formula. But really, really spend some time talking to our Father in heaven. We're so thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ. So thankful that he died on the cross. So thankful his blood was spilt. Because in that blood we have forgiveness of sins. And if we didn't have that forgiveness of sins, we could never, ever talk to you. But we're thankful for what he did so we can do what we can do. And that is pray to you the most powerful weapon that we have as we deal with the onslaught of this world. And dear Father, we ask all these things in our high priest's name, in our mediator, our intercessor's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord's invitation is being extended this morning. If you want to become a Christian and be in a right relationship with God so you can pray to Him, we want to help you with that. Or if we can pray for you this morning, uh, we certainly want to go to our Father in Heaven's uh, throne of grace on your behalf if that's something we can do for you. Whatever your need may be, won't you come as together we stand and sing.